So we have these binders, and within these binders, there's going to be supplementary things that go along with what we talk about on Sunday mornings. Uh, this week, I'll talk about this more towards the end, but you'll have some forgiveness principles. You have a forgiveness prayer. Uh, you'll have a reading discussion plan that is all inside of here. You do not have to take one. If you are not going to use it, don't take it and go home and be like, what's that? I don't know. They gave it to me. Now it's there for the rest of my life. What am I supposed to do with it? If you don't need one, this isn't about legalism that you have to take one of these, but if you're interested in wanting more things each week, we will have things for you to take home and put in these as we walk through this series. But again, don't feel like you have to take one if you don't want one. We can always find a place to use binders at Element. At least that's what Michael says. We can always find a place to put them. So grab those. Uh, on the community tables around the room, we do have these. These are going to be what our sermon notes look like for this series. <laughs> my mom, um, if you don't know, my mom's doing really well. She had uh, cancer surgery a few weeks ago. She's doing really well, but she's still not comfortable coming yet. But every week she watches and she prints the notes. So she prints this and she goes, I think you guys did something wrong this time. It's not on a quarter sheet. Well, no, this, hi mom. Okay. Uh, <laughs> these are full sheets because they're meant to go in the binders. So even if you don't take a binder, they're gonna look like this. If you do, when you grab these notes, they're gonna be three-hole punch for you to put into the binder. And that's why they're this size. We didn't just cheap out on you. We put them all like this. Does that all make sense? Am I just... All right, so these are your sermon notes. Welcome to Element if you are new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes. They look like this. They're on the communion tables around the room. They're three-hold punch if you'd like a binder. They are outside. I feel like I want to be Vanna White and just be all... Anyway, so you can grab one. Uh, now, in this, you're going to get a couple paragraphs, and then underneath these paragraphs, what you have is vertical, internal, horizontal, and then action steps. And as we walk through this series, you're going to have certain questions that are uh, vertical between us and God. So these are certain questions we ask that go that direction. And then internal, what is God then doing in us? Horizontal, how is he calling us to look out towards other people? And then what are the action steps? So you're going to have those things on there essentially every week to go along with the series. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. <laughs> you can click on more and then events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get some of those sermon notes, uh, verses, questions, uh, announcements that Sarah went through. All that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. And it says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And that can literally be translated as 70 times seven times. So 490, in case you're keeping track. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning, we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand our own forgiveness that you have given to us, and that that in turn would change us internally so that we would live differently horizontally out into those around us, that our lives would be a picture of what you are currently doing in us. And so the world would know the goodness and grace of who you are as we live in your forgiveness given to us. Amen. Have a seat. 
All right, so as I said, we are starting this new series on forgiveness, and this is a little odd for me because we just put this series together a few weeks ago. If you don't know me, I typically will plan out what we are going to learn for the next couple years. I can tell you right now what I'm planning, I haven't written it, but what I'm planning to teach probably all the way into 2026 at this point because I have an idea of the direction I, I think that God's leading element to go. And I had for us, the next series we're going to do was a series called Not So Little Women. It's about uh, women in the Bible, because a lot of times you hear stories about all the dudes in the Bible. And I want to hear some stories about the women and what we can learn from them. So we were going to do that. And then after that, we're going to do a series on First Timothy called Doctrine Matters, a big high-level view of the book of of First Timothy. Now we move First Timothy to next year. Not so little women's going to start at the end of September, so we're still doing that. But instead, we put this forgiveness series right here. And I'm going to tell you how this came about. A couple months ago, Tim Keller died. He's like, I, he's, he was like the last adult in the room, in my opinion. And now I have to be an adult, and I don't know why. But the, one of the last books I picked up before he died was this book called Death Enough in the Church, like the idea of forgiveness. And then we had an issue with one of our gospel communities. I'm not going to say which one or what was happening, but there's this idea of, of who was right. There's some hurt feelings, uh, a lot of unforgiveness, and one of the people in that GC ended up leaving Element. And I'm kind of praying, God, how could we have done this better? And I look over and I see this book, and I'm like, fine. I'll read it. And I got to tell you, it is one of the best books I've read this year. And I read a lot of books. I've probably read 15 to 20 books this year at this point because I just, I like reading. And this is probably the best one. And so I'm talking to Michael and Michelle. We do this leadership podcast. And as we're talking through it, I was like, I just want to take this book and I want to plagiarize it and pre preach it front to back. I just want to do that. And they were like, why don't you do that? That sounds like a great idea. And I'm like, oh, okay, because... What, when we're in this leadership podcast, we were talking about some of the shortcomings that I see around Element. And sometimes what that is, is we sometimes have a hard time owning our own places of failure, our shortcomings, the motivation behind them. And that tends to lead to broken relationships, avoidance, uh, weakened ministries. It's antithetical to what we call the gospel. And so we're going to offer this 11-week series on forgiveness so that we as a church can kind of walk through this to learn how to forgive, repent with one another, become a deeper gospel-centered community. It's very important for who we believe Element is supposed to be as a church, and we want you to be part of it. And grow. Now, we know it is the summer. Uh, last week, there were half the people in the room as they are this week. And if you are not here, we encourage you, listen to the podcast. If you don't know how to get a podcast, talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. She'll show you on your phone how to do that. If you're not here, if you don't want to do that, watch the YouTube video. Each week is going to build on the previous week as we go through all of this. We want you to stay up to date. We're going to have exercises in those binders and booklets. If you end up in the middle of this series realizing that you need to seek reconciliation and forgiveness with somebody and you don't know how to do that, we will provide mediators for you. Uh, whether it's the elders or someone on staff or a volunteer, we'll put, give you mediators to start trying to work some of this out in your life. And I am essentially going to take Keller's book and I'm going to plagiarize the snot out of it. And I'm just going to give it to you as much as I can front to back. You can pick up a copy if you want. Could help his estate, but I'm going to mostly give it to you. Uh, forgiveness, all the aspects we want others to extend to us. Many times the way we don't extend that to other people around us. And with the starting of that, I'm going to have you meet my friend. This is Matthew Brady, and I want you to see Matthew's idea of forgiveness. 
My name is Matthew Brady. Well, being new to faith, as far as forgiveness is concerned, my perspective on it or has been always from like a behavioral side, I would say. So I look at forgiveness as the actions that we take to forgive someone. So, you know, we always make that conscious decision to, you know, release our feelings of resentment or, or um, you know, vengeance or, or hatred towards someone or a group specifically because of something they did. So whether they deserve forgiveness or not, um, for me, I always look at forgiveness as an action that we take to do something for ourselves. Have I ever thought someone doesn't deserve forgiveness? I'd have to say no. Um, just because me personally, like I, I'm someone who like gets like physically ill if I know that like someone dislikes me. So if someone does something to me for me not to forgive them would really be, you know, on my part, I feel negative because I wouldn't want that from someone else. So for me to forgive someone, I feel it just makes the situation better for myself. So selfishly, I'm forgiving people, um, you know, so I feel better and can release that sort of regret or, you know, those feelings or emotions towards them. So that way I feel better about myself. So as far as forgiving someone so that they can to, you know, be closer to Christ or find Christ through that forgiveness, have I done that? No, not, not, not actively in my life yet or knowingly, you know, so um, just because again, like I said, it, you know, following Christ is something that's new to me. So integrating him into every aspect of my life is still something that, uh, you know, that I'm working on. And so when it comes to those type of actions, I'm, I'm not yet equipped, you know, with the, with the knowledge I need to be able to do so. So I hope to learn something new from this series to apply. Okay, so let's start here. What is forgiveness? It's a good place to start. If you look in the dictionary, a definition of forgiveness is to grant a pardon or to cancel an indebtedness. Uh, the Greek word for forgive, it means to send away, to let it go, let it go. <laughs> Be done with something. But, but the sad thing is that same Greek word there that's used for that is also used in divorces when a spouse would send the other away. And in that day and age, it would be when the man sent a woman away. This is why when you hear the word forgive biblically, it's so much more than a word can com uh, comprehend. So growing up, I'll give you a story. When I was 16 years old, I was a terrible driver. I, not much better now, but I was way worse then. Uh, by the time I was 17, I had five tickets and three accidents. Win, go for the win right here, 100%. Uh, the first one came about when I was 16 years old. I got two tickets and one accident from this event. I was driving my dirt bike down the street, which is illegal, got a ticket for that. And I come around this corner and this guy in this A-team van, I call it A-team, like remember the A, do, 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 I pity the fool, A-team van. He comes and he, and he pulls in front of me and I'm like, ah, and I slam my brakes and I hit the side of his van, his kid's in the window, I'm like, boom. Hi. And then around the corner comes this cop with his lights on. I was chasing you. And I'm like, I swear, 30 years later, I, I did not see him. I have no reason to lie at this point, okay? It's all done and over. I did not know he was chasing me. But I got a ticket for running from a cop, for speeding, and then the accident. Now, I haven't gotten in too many recently in the last few years. But one of the last ones I was in, I was leaving the bank. I was a little distracted, and this person in front of me, in my humble opinion, for no reason slammed on the brakes, and I tapped the back of their car. I mean, just barely, barely tapped it. But I don't know if you know this, the sound of car on car, it's very distinctive. 
and it instantly makes you sick to your stomach. <laughs> so when it happens, the first thought that goes through my head is not altruistic. I'm like, oh, I hope they're okay. The first thought in my head is like, I hope there's no damage. That's all that I'm thinking. I get out, I look at the other car, there's a scratch. I mean, and it looked like it was already there. What do I know? You know, it, 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 but it wasn't a dent, just a scratch, like a cat walked across the hood. Now, this car was a beater, like held together with like baling wire and duct tape. It was not a great car. I'm hoping it wouldn't matter much, but it was a very big deal to the person that I scratched their car. Uh, they, are, they are very angry. I'm trying to calm them down. I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. They do not calm down. So I don't ever do this, but I pulled the pastor card and I go, look, I'm a pastor at a local church. My name is Mike Harmon. <laughs> No, I didn't do that, but, but in their eyes, you know, I caused great offense to their sacred treasure of Bondo and Primer, because their definition of a beater and mine are two different things. I don't know if you can understand how much it costs to restore perfection in somebody's eyes, but I don't have that kind of money. And this is what kind of happens in our lives. We bump one another. We get bumped by each other. We get scratched. And what do you do if someone doesn't ask for forgiveness? What do you do if you bump somebody else and they won't forgive you because those scratches in our lives seem really deep? Now, here's the thing about forgiveness. It always costs somebody something. Always. Somebody always pays the debt. I've had people in parking lots hit me in my truck, and typically I just let them go if it's not that bad. I mean, my truck's not a bad truck. It's a nice truck. I get more dents every year. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I was in Albertson's parking lot. This guy comes around the corner and just hits my trailer hitch with his car. Bam! And then he dents my bumper when he does it. And I get out, he's freaking out. And I'm like, eh, it's just another dent in the bumper. I'm like, it's okay, you can go. And he's like, oh, thank you. But even in that, in letting him go, I absorb the dent. I absorb the debt. Whether I get it fixed or not, somebody always absorbs the cost. Now, the problem with forgiveness and where our world is going today is that people many times are finding that cost too high. In 1996, after apartheid ended, apartheid was a system of institutional racial segregation in South Africa. It lasted nearly 50 years. Bishop Desmond Tutu was called, uh, became the chair of this thing called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Now, during apartheid, blacks in Africa were tossed in jail. They were murdered. They were beaten. Their property was stolen. It was very ugly. And Desmond Tutu said after it ended, what the country needed was forgiveness, not trials. Now, you've got to listen to his view of how to end the anger of what happened to these oppressed people. He said, without forgiveness, there is no future for South Africa. Now, after World War II, you had these things called the Nuremberg Trials. And they found every Nazi they could find, the sympathizers, they put them on full trials. And it caused a whole lot of division and a lot of anger between a lot of people. And so what Desmond Tutu wanted to do was offer amnesty and forgiveness to perpetrators of violence, black or white, who would come forward and, here's the thing, publicly confess the full truth of what they'd done. Confess the full truth. Coming clean, telling the truth, owning the past. Why would somebody do that? Well, Desmond Tutu argued that the alternative to that in South Africa would turn them into like the Balkans after Yugoslavia broke up and there's all this infighting. It just never ended. The country's torn apart. Someone would have 
to bear the cost of forgiveness. And again, for many people, it's too high. And yet, if you look at Desmond Tutu and that commission of what happened in many, not all places, but in many places of South Africa, there was astounding reconciliation. So what is this high cost of forgiveness? Well, today, there is this push back against forgiveness because what it is said is that forgiveness empowers abusers. It lets them off the hook. And when it's done incorrectly, yeah, that can actually be true. Some people think forgiveness in churches is about just getting over it and moving on. Now, that's not how the Bible talks about it. That's how a lot of people think about it. Tim Keller actually praised Tutu's grace-centered forgiveness model. And someone tweets back to him, asking people to forgive and move on helps abusers escape responsibility. Another person said that Tutu's model to most people seems quaint, hokey, or downright irrelevant to most social justice advocates. So you have, after the 2014 deaths of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and then Eric Garner in New York City, and then George Floyd in Minneapolis in 2020, and Breonna Taylor, you had all these calls for change in Western society. It becomes overwhelming. And this new movement starts to sound different than the civil rights movement or the movement of Desmond Tutu. Rapper Tef Post said, this ain't your grandparents' civil rights movement, and argued it would be much, much angrier. On top of that, the problem with forgiveness, it's not just confined to matters of race. Uh, you have the Me Too movement. There's a whole lot of struggle there when you talk about forgiveness in the midst of that. Because many women ask, doesn't forgiving abusers let them off the hook? And it could, depending on how you do that. Also, you go to social media. Social media is a realm where any missteps or wrongful posts, they're there forever. You can get canceled and you'd never come back from that. Liberals and conservatives have both experienced this. Like Whoopi Goldberg, she made offensive remarks about the Holocaust. And she's called out on it. She actually apologized, but she's still suspended and punished. Jewish writer Nathan Hirsch found this lack of forgiveness troubling. And he expressed concern that the culture's need to cancel, even those who are willing to change, would not serve to diminish bigotry, it might fuel it. Elizabeth Brunig of the New York Times writes this, there is something unsustainable about an environment that demands constant atonement, but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness. Now, after she writes that, she is inundated by emails of people saying that they had, she had caused them distress. In a later interview talking about this, she explains that a culture with an outraged sense of justice and a desire to make people atone for their own sins many times leads to a place where it causes divisions. He says, I see in American culture how offended people seem by the very idea of forgiveness itself. They seem to find it immoral, and I think that is very disturbing. In 2015, uh, Dylan Roof, you don't remember this, he goes into an African-American church in the South and he shoots nine people at a Bible study. Relatives of those nine people who were killed publicly said to him, I forgive you. Didn't let him off the hook, didn't mean he didn't have to go to jail and pay for his crimes, but they said, I forgive you. People were highly offended by this. A Washington Post opinion piece by Stacey Patton responded, black America should stop forgiving white racists. And she went on and said the admiration for black people's forgiveness is about protecting whiteness. It enables white denial about the harms that racist violence creates. Our constant forgiveness only perpetuates the cycle of attacks and abuse. Kevin Powell wrote an article that was called The Insanity of White Justice and Black Forgiveness. Reducing another tragic loss of black life to a Hallmark card is not justice. Lawyer Preston Mitchin tweeted this, black people are historically forced to show empathy to colonizers and made to feel bad when we don't. 
So Barbara Reynolds, a 78-year-old woman who actually marched in the Civil Rights Movement with Martin Luther King Jr., she wrote a counterpoint essay in the same paper right next to Stacey Patton's essay. And she said the movements that were led by Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela won the moral high ground because they persuaded the majority to understand the ethics of love and forgiveness and reconciliation. She said in the end they triumphed because of the power of the spiritual approach. She said that forgiveness, in the end, what it does is it disarms the oppressors. It wins over many of their supporters, weakening the system. And she said that the current angry approach could lead to short-term gains, but in the end, it will only serve to divide the country rather than unify it. Now, have you noticed that today? That we are divided, we are not unified? Of course. Sabine Birdsong actually blames the abuses on forgiveness, not just on bad practice, but on Christianity itself. She writes this, to hell with forgiveness culture. And she said, we continue to believe forgiveness makes a person superior, and if they can't manage something so simple, the fault lies with them. She said this deeply ingrained, this is a deeply ingrained religious hangover from Christianity. She says we need to rewrite the outdated narratives of forgiveness, which idealizes the pseudo-spiritual fairy tale of redemption and forgiveness over the inherent right for people to not be abused. And honestly, this is how people feel. Not just on a national scale of racism, systemic abuse, Me Too, but also on a personal level. When you personally have been harmed, when someone bumps your metaphorical car of your life that runs into you, or maybe you run into somebody else, it's like, how do you begin to forgive, especially if you think the other person doesn't deserve it? Now here's the problem, there's a whole fallacy of blaming Christianity when it comes to understanding real forgiveness. Because a biblical sense in it, we understand the difference between forgiveness and justice and how they are supposed to go together. We are told today that you have to choose one over the other, but the Bible doesn't. The Bible talks about forgiveness and justice coming together. Only in Christianity will you see real justice and real forgiveness as they go hand in hand. Many people argue forgiveness culture helps abusers to escape accountability. Desmond Tutu argued that without forgiveness, abusers are going to hold you in their grasp for your entire life. And this is why he says it is possible to pursue both forgiveness and justice at the same time. Now, we are going to talk about this a little bit more as we go through this series. But what I want to do is start in this place and help you to understand the importance of forgiveness, the importance of it. In the Bible, there is this story of a paralyzed man that Jesus heals. It's found in all four Gospels. And it may not seem like it relates, but it really does for where we are going to start this series. If you wanted to, you can open to Matthew chapter 9 in your Bibles. I'm going to briefly just hit a couple verses there as we talk about it. But in Matthew chapter 9, you'll see this story. And it really kind of focuses on Jesus' authority. Authority. He will say in Matthew 9, verse 6, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So again, this is a story about Jesus healing somebody, but in the midst of the healing of this person, he starts talking about this guy's sin. In the Mark account, the story focuses a lot on the guy's friends. Like the guy's friends get them, gets them to Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now Jesus will typically say things like, Your faith has made you well, or something like that. But here in Mark, he sees the friend's faith, and he points it out. It's kind of amazing. Now in Matthew's gospel, he takes this account, and in the end, he will whittle it down to Jesus' authority to forgive sins. No one has the authority on earth to forgive sins except Jesus himself. And whether the guy on the mat realized it or not, before going to see Jesus, this is what he really needed. 
In Matthew 9, 2, he says the paralytic comes to get healed, and what does Jesus say? The first thing he says is, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. If you are a guy on a mat going to see Jesus, and there's a crowd, the last thing you want is for your sins to be talked about publicly, right? Imagine the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in, in South Africa. No one wants to come clean. No one wants to do this. Now, if you're like me, you may also be thinking, but Jesus, I didn't come to you to talk about my sins. I came to you to be healed. I'm paralyzed. I'm on this mat. We need to do something about that. That is my most immediate problem. And what Jesus is saying is, no, that's not your most immediate problem. And that's the whole point. Jesus is saying is, everybody's biggest problem is sin. And yet no one likes to look at our own sins. We like to look at everybody else's and what everybody else has done. We want to be offended by everybody else and overlook our own. The people who bring the guy to Jesus, no one makes any reference to forgiveness or guilt or sin, but Jesus does. And Jesus is saying to that guy and us, you think you know what the main problem in your life is, but you don't. You think forgiveness is useless, but it is the only way we will ever step into relationship with God and relationship with one another, the only way that is ever going to be restored. Now, Jesus knows we have problems. He is going to eventually heal this guy. But from the standpoint of the gospel, we must realize when we look at the world around us that the main problem, it is not racism. It is not sexism. It is not classism. Our problem is sin. That's the problem in the world. And in the end, this is what we have to realize. Now at Element, we do these things sometimes called redemption groups. And when you get to the end of the redemption group process, what we try and do is get you to understand the things that have happened to you or to things you have done to other people, to re-narrate that and see that in lens of our redemption, what God has done in the lens of the gospel. And it's very, very empowering. And so our main problem in our lives is typically not the way that we respond to what we see God do. It's the way we respond to the things around us. And the gospel helps us to see the truth, the difference of how we respond versus how God has responded to us. And it's very empowering. So this paralyzed guy is on this mat. And then he's like any paralyzed person. They want with every fiber of their being just to walk again just to be better. It's only natural. But Jesus is showing that walking is never going to save this guy's soul. Never. Never. It's never going to bring redemption. This guy deep down might be saying, if I can only walk again, then my life would be right. Then I'd never be unhappy. I would never be discontented if I just had this thing. You ever say that? Oh, if I could just reach this, get that house, marry that person, make this much money. If I just had that, I'd be okay. I'd never be discontented. I'd never complain. I would always forgive others. If I could walk, then everything would be all right. And what Jesus is saying is, my son, you are mistaken. I don't know if that sounds harsh to you, but most of you walked in here, right? Just by virtue of walking, does that make your life content? Do you never want anything else? Do you readily forgive other people who have hurt you? Do you never complain? Of course not, right? Jesus was right, again. Do you know what Jesus is saying to the paralyzed guy and what he says to all of us? Your deepest wish is not what you truly need. That's what he's telling us. The scriptures teaches that our deepest problem is that everyone is building our lives on something other than Jesus, something other than the gospel. We're looking at something, whether it's to walk, a relationship, a situation to be resolved, how we expect, and then we place ourselves in the place of God thinking these situations have to come about to appease us. And if they don't, then we're unhappy or we're angry about it. And then sometimes if we do get what we expect, it doesn't bring about what we thought it was going to, and we're even more upset. Jesus says to the guy on the mat, I am the only Savior that will ever fulfill you. 
and if you fail me, I will still forgive you. Tim Keller writes this, Jesus Christ is aggressive with his grace. He looks at this guy and he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Even though this guy wasn't there even talking about that. And what this tells you is that faith is a gift because this man was not trying to find forgiveness or grace and yet Jesus comes after him. Keller goes on, Jesus is so eager to receive us, help us, and love us, he even takes inarticulate, fragmentary, imperfect expressions of need and dependence and he puts his grace in. This means that Jesus creates these openings in our lives. And this again proves that faith is a gift. And if it's a gift, you know what that means? It's not a virtue. You're not going, oh, look how great I am because of how much faith I have. No, it's simply a gift that's given to us. Jesus looks at the guy. He sees not a broken body. He sees a fallen soul. He says to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is fulfilling this guy's deepest need, even though the guy doesn't realize it at the moment. And hopefully this is a desire that his friends realize, yeah, this is what we really wanted. Because when you love Jesus, you want nothing more than your friends to come and know Jesus as well. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Why? The power of the coming cross that we talked about last week. The Apostle Paul reminds us, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And this is why forgiveness looks so bizarre to us today. It's foolishness because we don't understand what God has first done for us in Christ. When we speak of the cross, it should be with a sense of wonderment that God would come and deem to love and bring us back to himself, to forgive us, to rescue us from our own sin and folly. And so if you had to like lay out there, what is your greatest wish? What thing do you focus on in your life that you think will put your whole life together how it's supposed to be? Is it that thing so that everything will go smoothly in your life? Is it that people might maybe seek out your forgiveness? What God offers us is a life that can be made completely new. Do you want your future redeemed? Do you want your past no longer have a hold over your entire life? That's what Jesus' authority in our life does. And this is what we speak of, that the gospel can make all things new, even us, and all the stuff that we've gone through. Jesus alone can redeem and save us. Now, some people think when Jesus talks about forgiveness and living this life, that it makes Jesus too hard to follow. Like, I can't live this way. There's this great place in C.S. Lewis's autobiography, and he says, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And it's something we got to believe, that the hardness of Jesus will always be kinder than the softness of men. Sometimes God allows hardships in our life to show us where our hearts actually are, to wake us up, and that's a kindness of His grace. The thing that we really need to see, which changes us to understand, we see the convicting sight of Him loving us and saying, you think you know what you really need, but you don't. Your sin is what is destroying you. It's what is destroying your relationships. It's separated you from me. It has killed you, but I'm going to die for you so you can be forgiven and redeemed. A, a miracle worker that could heal people could walk up to anybody and say, okay, well, you know, take up your bed and walk, which is what Jesus eventually does for this guy. But it's only the Savior of the world that can say, all of your sins are forgiven. And when Jesus says this, he is directly pointing to the cross. Most commentators say that it's right here that the shadow of the cross falls on Jesus' life. What this man needed is what we all need, which is true forgiveness. And that gets down to the bottom of things that have alienated us from God and one another. And Jesus is saying, I want to show you that the deepest need in your nature is for me. And only I can bestow perfect love and new identity and hope and forgiveness. 
Now, in those binders that are out there, if you wanted to grab one, there are these forgiveness principles. There's seven of them in there. I'm going to give you just five of those to, to wrap this up today. So if you want to grab a binder, you can. Don't feel like you have to. It's not legalism. Like, you got to take a binder. You don't have to. All right. But I'm going to give you five of the ones I think relate to what we're talking about right now. The first one is this. The difficulty of forgiveness lies in that it is unnatural for us right now. In our fallen state, it's not the nature of things. It's really counterintuitive to our basic human instincts and nature. And this is why a holy God's forgiveness was a mystery until Christ came. People didn't really completely understood it. They would go to the temple, they would make these sacrifices, and those sacrifices only covered their sins. It didn't remove them. But Jesus comes, and in Him, the sins are removed, taken upon Himself. Forgiveness is always a wonder and a surprise, and it needs to be accounted for rather than taken for granted. Secondly, the dynamic of forgiveness is the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Okay? Someone bears the cost for our forgiveness, and it's Jesus. The cross provides satisfaction for our sins through the self-substitution of God Himself in Christ. And this is what makes forgiveness possible, not just between God and us, but ultimately between one another, because Jesus has paid that price. Our forgiveness of others is based on and empowered by God's forgiveness of us through the cross. Third thing is this, the fading of forgiveness today is coming because of our contemporary forgiveness models. They're inadequate because they lack the vertical dimension. They don't understand what God has first done for us. Christian forgiveness differs from cultural models and it seeks justice and reconciliation. It shows the need for it, the costliness of it, and it shows the power of it. The fourth thing is this, the history of forgiveness is actually rooted in the scriptures. That's where it's rooted. Now, all cultures, yes, have a sense of forgiveness and how you get that. But the dominant ideas in the world today derive from the Old and New Testaments. And the loss, loss of forgiveness has to do with the decline of Christian, the Christian faith, but also the distortion of the concept within churches itself. And the fifth thing is this. The definition of forgiveness, when we understand it and live in it, it is going to lead us to a place where we renounce revenge and we become open to reconciliation. Revenge leads to a place of always being satisfied with another person's unhappiness. Oh, look how messed up their lives are. I feel really good about that. They're getting what they deserve. To forgive is to name the wrong truthfully as wrong instead of excusing it, but also identify with the perpetrator as a fellow sinner. I have also sinned against God. And so therefore, I needed his forgiveness too. And this is what Jesus did. He comes. He identifies with us. As our Savior, He comes to save us, and forgiveness will only become a reality in how we live when we understand more completely what God has first done for us. And this is what we're going to talk about over the next 11 weeks. And some of it's going to be fun, some of it's going to be heavy, some of it will hopefully lead you to a place where you start to ask some internal questions about what's going on in your own life, what you are working through, what God is calling you to, and it's not easy. It is not easy to understand that God doesn't call us to overlook slights. He calls us to honestly be able to call them out, but then be able to work through those because we understand what Christ has first done for us. What has Christ done for us? He has come and died in our place for what separated us from God and us from one another. Too often, we think that I'm going to work this off myself. I'm going to figure this out. I will make God love me because I'm so good. Have you seen how good I am? Yeah, God's got to love me. No, we can never make ourselves acceptable to God. And this is why Christ comes. And He takes our sin upon Himself and He makes us acceptable to God by what He Himself has done. This is when we talk about faith, trusting what Christ has done. It makes us acceptable to God. 
And what that also means is we can then move into places where we begin to work towards reconciliation with one another. It doesn't mean you overlook the sites like when Dylan Roof, right? When they forgave him, it doesn't mean that they said, oh, he doesn't need to go to jail. He doesn't need to pay for these crimes. But in their own hearts and lives, what they did is they began to forgive him because they realized we're also fellow sinners. And that's really, really hard to do. And today, what we want to do is come to the place where we invite you to communion. Communion reminds us of God's great love given to us. It's where you break a cracker like Christ's body was broken for us, and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of Christ's love that, you know, that he came and loved us enough to die for us in our place. So that cracker reminds us of his body that was broken for us, and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for you and me. It really, communion is a great place to remember to lay down our anger and our resentment towards others and understand what God has first done for every single one of us. If you need prayer today, maybe you are in a spot where it's like, you know, I have this resentment and this anger and I don't even know where to begin with it. Well, right across the way in the lounge, you can go during music, you can go after service. Maybe you have some questions, you can go with those as well, but they'd love to be able to pray with you. You can talk with them and walk through some of those questions you might have. Uh, there's offering boxes around the room. At Element, we do not pass a plate. Uh, our giving is always meant to be a response to what God has done. That's why we don't pass a plate, because we want to understand what God has done. It makes us a generous people, and that's why we give the way that we do. Uh, and then I'd encourage you to take this one-page sermon notes, even if you don't want to take the binder, look through those questions. The, the vertical between us, what has God done for us? The internal, what is he doing inside of you? The horizontal, how is he calling you to live out that with others around you? And if today, right now, you're in a spot where you say, yeah, I get that, I hear this forgiveness, I can't do that, I'm not ready. That's fine, that's fine. We're gonna talk about this for the, you know, for the next couple months to hopefully move us to a place where we understand better what Christ has done that can lead us to a place where our hearts become a little more soft to what he is doing. And maybe by the end of it, you're still not in a place where you're ready to start and walk through that. You know what, that what we want this series to do is move us so we understand first the vertical, what God has done for us. And as we understand that, that is meant to change who we are internally, which then leads out to how we then deal with people horizontally. So let God begin to do his work in your life that will move and change you to understand his great grace that he has given to you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would move our hearts to understand the reality of the forgiveness that we needed from you. It is so hard sometimes to look at the reality that we are just as messed up as anybody else. And this is why it comes to the place where it's easy for us to hold grudges. When our metaphor, metaphorical cars have been scratched by somebody else's life, running into them when they're distracted. And it leaves us in a place that moves deeper and deeper towards bitterness and anger. And yet the beauty of what you teach us in the scriptures is that you came to save us as well because we needed it. We are not better. We need your grace just like everybody else. And this morning I ask that we would begin to understand that. And that throughout this series, we would understand that better and better. And it would change us into a people who would see the necessity 
of forgiveness, not in a self-centered way, but in an other-centered way. That our hope is what would drive us to places to speak about you and your goodness. That there would be a difference to our lives because it starts with that vertical of what you have done in us. And then we would then be those who live that out. It would be publicly displayed in our relationships and how we worship and love you. So today as we begin this, teach us to understand it's, it's okay to be frustrated with inappropriate ways of forgiveness, but to understand there is a real way to do it and you have done it with us. Have us walk into the freedom that you offer us because we have been given your forgiveness. We ask that in your son's good name. Amen. So we drop these curtains over here. Take a couple moments, maybe during these songs, and, and just ask God, you know, God, I got, I got 11 weeks of this. <laughs> what do you want to teach me throughout this? How do you want to move my heart in the midst of this? Is there someone that you harbor resentment towards? Is there someone that harbors resentment towards you? And maybe reconciliation is just out of the picture right now. Maybe pray for God to start to show you the direction he wants you to begin to take in this. And then maybe it'll be a difference in how our lives are then just lived in front of those around us. That people would see those who love Jesus as people who honor justice, but who love mercy and who understand grace. And that people could see that because of how we live. So take a couple moments and just say, God, show me where you want to teach me, where you want me to go during this. Then come and take communion. Uh, we'll, we'll head out into the world and hope we'll be a more grace-filled people. And again, if you're not here next week, I encourage you to get the podcast, watch the YouTube. I do look better on podcasts because you can't see this face. Um, <laughs> but keep up with us because each week is going to build on the last one to bring us to a place or I think we get to some real, really, really practical things about what forgiveness looks like so that we'd be a people who honor him in all things. And that leads to a place where we honor his image in others.